Today, I am super excited to be chatting with Matt Bellotti, product lead, growth and life cycle at Drift. Matt, thank you for coming on, sharing your story. Absolutely. Happy to be here. All right, Matt, I'm going to try your intro here. You've got a long intro, so fill in the gaps. So I just mentioned it, product lead, growth and life cycle at Drift. You've had a bunch of other cool PM roles before that, both at Drift and before Drift at HubSpot and the product team. You do a ton of cool entrepreneurial work. You wrote a book with Dave Cancel early on at Drift about building products. You got your own podcast. You've got a fantastic beard. You learned that people say your last name differently in Italy. All kinds of cool stuff, man. What, what am I missing? That was pretty good. Big fan of traveling. Weird time right now, but always trying to learn some new stuff. So I just picked up golf and tennis. And yeah, aside from that, I think you got most of the resume stuff. Maybe one thing to fill in is I've been with Drift for five and a half years now. And I joined before we signed our very first customer. And now Drift is about 400 employees. So it's been a crazy journey. And over that time, I've been quote-unquote product and quote-unquote growth, but I've also been a ton and ton of other things. Uh, So it's been a really fun journey along the way. Super cool, man. So I want to hear all about the journey. That's the goal of today. Learn about how you've gotten up until this point, some of the cool things you've learned along the way, hopefully some of the fuck-ups that you've made if you feel like being vulnerable and sharing some of those, because that's the good stuff. I'm curious to know, do you identify with being a growth person? Maybe that's like a good place to start. Are you a product guy that takes a growth approach to problems or are you a growth person? I would say everyone defines growth differently. So the way that I would define my own approach to growth, I'm sure other people would argue with or disagree with. So let's start there. What is your definition and approach to growth? Yeah. So in my view, the growth process, the way that most growth teams operate is a very maniacal focus on prioritization and levers in the funnel, whether it's onboarding or retention or monetization or whatever it might be. And I believe that we're in a bit of this in-between where growth teams are spun up to do that. And the future is that all teams just use that fundamental process that growth teams use. So I think of myself as a product person that has done growth roles and approaches stuff from a growth mindset. Cool. And where do we start? So we were just saying, if you identified with being that. And so you're saying, no, I identify as being more of a product person with a growth mindset. And so how did you start growing in this area, right? So you've taken on some growth roles. You've got a growth mindset. When did you start dabbling in this field? Yeah, so when I joined Drift, I originally joined as a product manager. And my role was product management, but also the non-technical person that just did all the other stuff that had to get done. So I answered all the customer support emails. When that became too much, I found contractors to hire and put those in place there and then oversaw and ran that team and did a bunch of product marketing stuff and touched all these different types of products and different markets and how we launch them and how we think about them and how we make them better. And over the years, I sort of proved myself as good at figuring out the starting point of things like going from the zero to one, getting a function rolling or a new product going or something along those lines. And two and a half years ago or so, we brought on VP of growth, Guillaume Cabane, who is an incredible growth person. And we brought him in as a VP and we needed to pair him with someone that could help get that thing off the ground. And for anyone that knows Guillaume, G, as we refer to him, he is a bit of a mad scientist and he needed 
somebody to anchor a lot of the incredible, crazy things that we could do. And so I just got paired with him on that. And that's kind of how the growth stuff started. It wasn't necessarily intentional. It was more that my mindset and approach to my career so far has just been jump on the thing that needs to be figured out. And I really love that process. And we just happened to be spinning up a growth team when there was a moment where it was like, what's the thing that Matt works on next? Because he kind of saw through the last thing he was doing and it just perfectly aligned with growth stuff. So a part of me hates to say that because it's so hard to replicate that sort of thing. Whereas I know part of the intent here is help other folks hear and see how they can get in these roles. But for me, it was kind of just set myself up for the figure it out type approach. And I think that that parallels really well with just how I think about growth in general and spinning up growth teams and spinning up a growth process. It's all about getting a structure in place. I also had an opportunity to work with Brian Balfour for a bit when I was at HubSpot. And his approach, at least at the time, was very much build the system to get a team to churn out experiments and make an impact. And it's all about the speed of that process and the efficiency of the system. And you get outputs out the other end because most experiments are going to fail. So it's really about velocity of experimentation. And so my approach to career and all the things that I enjoy jumping on are all just about velocity of new lesson learned, right? Like I can learn just enough for us to know if we should hire a real person that knows that thing to take it over. And I think growth is a lot of the same way. It's like this experimentation, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, we could try this other crazy thing and taking a shot at it and seeing, do we throw this thing away or do we really implement this and work with the product engineers to make it really good rather than this hacky thing that we had pieced together in an experiment? So there's my long-winded answer to that one. Can you share some of the stories that come to mind when you think about going zero to one during the super early days? Yeah. So a lot of those moments were very much, we knew we wanted to figure out X, Y, or Z. We knew that we wanted to get ourselves to 100 customers, or we knew that we wanted to launch a new product every single month. And I think some people in early startup mode get a little bit too caught up in trying to set too much of a metric approach to it. Like they try to take the growth mindset and apply it a little too early. Now in consumer cases, you can apply it really early just because the only way to really succeed in most consumer contexts is to hit some like crazy growth channel and grow from there. But I think at least in B2B and in some other industries, there's an over-indexing for the growth mindset early, but people I think interpret the growth mindset as like, we need to be really particular about our funnel and our numbers and find the lever points. And I think that it's probably almost always too early to do that because at least in my experience, we never really did that with all the new products we launched or new teams that we spun up. It was just like, here is the rough hypothesis on X, Y, or Z. We're not really going to try to like get an exact number on it. Do we know if this thing's going to work or not? And just get in a rough approximation of what working looks like. And yeah, like when we were getting our first customers, it was quite a journey. I mean, I remember our very, very first customers at Drift. I was, call me the BDR, the business development rep for our CTO and co-founder Elias. And him and I, I would just like reach out to folks in the Boston community who were in startups that I thought maybe could be willing to hear us out with our random pitch for 30 minutes. And we would go to their office and Elias would get them to give us a $20 bill and we would give them drift for a year. It was very much like a super fun, crazy, but 
really unstructured way of approaching it, but the structure around it was about these lofty goals. We always had lofty goals for any new product release or change that we were making to the business. We always kind of set those really lofty goals. Fun. I bet a lot of the people that are listening to this are at early stage companies. They're probably doing a lot of this. Like whenever I talk to folks that work in growth, to your point, they over-index on the quantitative data early on. They try to over-optimize. They try to let perfect be in the way of good enough. But the reality is if you're pre-product market fit, what you really need is the qualitative inputs. You kind of just need to get boots on the ground. You need to talk to customers. You need to make a bunch of mistakes. And then hopefully over time, that empathy and that knowledge that you pick up compounds and it helps you make better decisions, which really is data. It's just qualitative data. People under index on it, I think. For sure. There seems to be a prevailing belief that you need to have your data in a really good place. You need to have clean data early on. You need to make sure that all that stuff is set up. But the reality is that for the first many years of Drift, total mess. I remember talking to folks that spent time at data companies and their data was quite a mess for quite a while. And so I think that there is this facade that a lot of growth teams operate on the backbone of very, very clean data. And it's important to make sure that the data is explicitly clean early on. But I think in an attempt to reach that outcome, you sacrifice all the time that you could have instead spent on more of that qualitative approach, big swing. Like we roughly think that this is how many people are going to care about X, Y, or Z, or probably this number is right for how many people are going through the funnel today. There's just a really big gap here. So let's just tackle the gap rather than try to say like, let's make sure that all the tracking is accurate and all that fun stuff. I, I think that that becomes more of a impediment to growth than it does be really useful. I think getting really focused on that data only is worth it at a certain scale or when you're beyond product market fit and you're starting to really see tons of growth, then you really get a hold on that. But I just think some people do it a little bit too early. So here to say that it's been a massive drift and we've certainly got it under control, but I think that it's important to realize that some of the best companies don't necessarily get built on perfect data. Some do, I'm sure, but I just, I haven't seen that yet. Right, and there's all this pressure when you get involved in the growth space, because you read articles about people that work at these big Silicon Valley companies, and it seems like it's all perfect, right? At least that's the public presentation of what they share is that everything is perfect. Everything is great. They're running a million experiments. But the reality is for people that are in the trenches doing this every single day, that's just really the case. Yeah, I have no doubt that Facebook's data architecture and tracking is the most unbelievably detailed approach you could possibly have. And they have insane internal dashboards, but they've got billions of users. I don't know the actual number, but you need it at that point. But when you have a couple hundred customers and a few thousand people signing up, what matters is your number of customers and your number of signups. And then how many people do you know that you've talked to that actually are using the thing that you tried to build for them? So let's go back in time a little bit. So earlier you said some stuff that I thought was super cool. You talked about working with two people I find really impressive, right? You talked about working with Brian and you talked about working with G. And so I'm curious to go back in time a little bit to back when you were at HubSpot. Actually, we both worked at HubSpot, although we never knew each other back when we worked there. And that's just the world of tech. But I'm curious to know, what was it like during your time at HubSpot? Reflecting on it now, what were some of the things that you learned that helped you be successful in this next role? Yeah, I saw a lot of really great things. As I've been mentioning, I saw what a true process looked like from Balfour. I mean, it was intensive. Every experiment was numbered. 
perfectly detailed for what the hypothesis was, what the expected outcome was. But again, this was also on the backbone of something that already had tens of thousands of active users. So it wasn't a thing that we started really, really early on. I also learned a lot about the importance of not trying to innovate as your starting point, right? It's so important. The best gains that I've seen at HubSpot and Drift are often on take something that exists, take a user pattern that exists and just make it better, make it easier. And don't try to make a brand new thing. I've, I've seen at Drift where we've shipped dozens and dozens of products at Drift. And I've seen a lot of cases where we're sort of trying to create a net new behavior. And it just, it's way harder. It's way, way, way more difficult versus if I were to look at all the things that we shipped and these were existing patterns or there were other products in the market like it. I mean, I remember when we first started building the Drift live chat and all that, a lot of people were like, there's tons of live chats. Like, why does yours matter at all, right? But we really built ourselves on the backbone of that. And I saw how being a bit antithesis to the market is really useful for us at Drift. When we launched our first chatbot, at the time, the prevailing view of chatbots were that they were mostly hype and that they weren't really going to be useful in sales and marketing contexts. And we said the opposite and, and took a different path. So I think I've seen a lot of build on the backbone of what already exists and then find the wedge for what makes it better and build out the reasons why you will win in the market. It doesn't necessarily need to be you're out of the gate knowing exactly why you'll be better in the market. So working at HubSpot, so just to go back to this a teeny bit here, one of the things that I was always curious about is did that ruffle a lot of feathers at the time? Like, so you talked about coming in with this process and having really the company sort of be ready for growth, having the data maturity, having the product market fit, having the customer account where you could truly optimize and make those user patterns better, which is, I think, really, really smart stuff. Culturally, was it accepted? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I remember when Balfour showed up, he spent the first month or so going really deep to define the user personas. Like it was pure qualitative research and deep documentation around that. And I remember there being questions of, well, isn't this the growth guy? Like, where's the data stuff? Where are the experiments? Where's the new thing? And his fundamental perspective on it was, I can start shipping stuff. We could build a process. But if we don't have a crystal clear understanding of who we're building for, the experiments that we run, who are they going to affect? Why are those people going to care about them? Why are they going to be interested in all of it? And he wanted all of the hypotheses to be rooted in this deep understanding of the user and of the customer. And so he had the whole team early on just go really, really deep in that. And yeah, I think some folks looked at it and said, I guess this guy's the expert. He's just got to run his thing and we'll trust him on it. But I certainly think that others were like, we're spending that much time on like, where's the paid ad campaigns and where's all that stuff? But I think fundamentally having that and in some cases had to defend that, right? Because people are asking those kinds of questions. But I think it was necessary for getting the footing. And I certainly see how that better informed the team than if they had otherwise just started experimenting on top of what existed, it would have been much more difficult to really get wins sooner because they're just shooting in the dark. I just feel like that's what most people do. When I talk to other folks that work in growth, I ask them what they're working on and why they're working on it. And they just list out a bunch of cool stuff. It's cool experiments and they're cool ideas, but it's mostly pet rock projects and not at its fundamental level solving for problems that the target customer has or things in the way of them experiencing value and things like that. 
So it's like a really interesting takeaway to focus on what's most valuable to the user and get really, really crystal clear about what problems you're solving and then go into the brainstorm and the process and all that good stuff. Yeah. As you'd mentioned, I've got my own podcast where I talk to growth folks and I find that there is across the board, like let's say a startup is hiring their first growth team. I think that the founders and leadership generally put a ton of pressure on I'm going to spit up this growth team. I'm making the investment. I want to see impact immediately. And oftentimes it comes with this underpinning of if I don't see results in N number of months, this thing is gone and it's a failure, which fundamentally is okay. You're looking at it as an experiment. You want to give it a timeline. But I do feel like there is a view that the timeline to outcomes is shorter than it actually is. I didn't have him on the podcast, but I remember talking to Fareed, who does growth at Slack. And he was saying that the way that he thinks about growth team goals is basically the first quarter that the team exists is all about, can this team ship stuff? Can this team run experiments? Can they be functional? The second quarter that the team exists is all about finding which numbers can they move? What can they impact? What are we actually seeing as their levers? And then the third quarter that they exist, it's all about, well, you found your levers, move the levers by X. And I just thought that was such a great way to paint it out. And it shows that it it takes the nine months to get to that point where you're really starting to impact the numbers, where I think most founders have this perspective that I'm going to hire a growth team and I'm going to start to see all the charts hockey stick a month and a half later, right? Right. I think there needs to be a little bit more patience in the process of it. It's of course great to be skeptical and great to like really dig in, but there is a baseline that the team has to go through anytime any new growth team is started. It makes sense, right? You've got to go through the whole team dynamics of forming, storming, norming, and then finally performing at the end of that, right? Like there's a real life cycle and evolution of the team, but most folks are just itching to jump in or the company is saying, well, we have a growth team now. And they think it's so binary. Like all of a sudden they get this growth team, everything goes up and to the right. But the reality is the team needs to learn how to execute together. Most folks haven't worked on a growth team. And so it's everybody's first time usually. And so I'm curious being that it wasn't that you've been around growth a little bit before and that you had G join how what you saw at HubSpot compared to the first version of growth at Drift? I think it's very different just because G and Brian Balfour are very different in their approach. Brian is the classically methodical approach, whereas G is much more of the creative, crazy brain meld of concepts in a way that I've never seen someone be able to piece together all sorts of layers of things to get an outcome. It's really hard to explain unless you've seen his talks and worked with him. I definitely recommend there's tons of videos and stuff of G giving presentations and whatnot. So I think there was still a decent amount of that pressure, which I think happens everywhere, which is start to show me the outputs. And it kind of like twists the arm of the early growth folks. And I saw the same pressure going to Brian as it did with G. Like, I think that that is still pretty consistent. And I think what makes a really great growth leader, which is parallel between both of them, is that they can and will defend the baseline that has to happen, right? They can push back on leadership and not only push back, but bring them along for the journey of why it's going to take us a little bit more time to get to the point where you're actually going to start seeing numbers, right? I think 
folks that are less experienced, right? If you're spinning up a growth team with what you were saying was people that haven't really done growth before, they've never seen it. And so they're less inclined to be able to push back on it because they don't have the experience to do so. And so they wind up getting pigeonholed into, you know, start to experiment. Let's see the experiments. I want to see one within the first two weeks. And I just think that that sort of maturity is so important in the first growth leader and the first growth hire that you make. If you are a company that's already made some pretty significant product market fit progress and you're hiring them to make a very specific type of bet for your business and your strategy, you need that type of person that's seen it before. I think if you're really earlier and you're just saying, we just want our whole team to start operating as growth, there's 10 of us and we want to bring in a growth person that can do the marketing stuff and can do some of the product stuff, then you kind of get the Swiss army knife type growth person that just is good at figuring out all the work. But I think that the drift growth team got way better started because G came in versus if I had just been put in charge of it, I think I would have ended up in like the small iterative type test world, which we avoided because we had that experience with us. That's cool. And so it's such a good takeaway, right? You need somebody that has that vision that can defend it. That's been there before, because otherwise it's just so easy to look straight down and to not look further ahead, which is really what you need. I'm curious how that team evolved or how some of the projects that you took on evolved over time. Yeah, it's funny because it evolved quite a lot of drift. So there was a point in time where growth was reporting up to our chief revenue officer There was another point in time where we were sort of rolling up to the marketing organization. There was another point in time where we were reporting up to the product team. And this was like every six months or so. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the business alignment. I think being really clear on what it is that you want the growth team to do matters a lot. And I think a lot of folks want growth teams because they think that it can move all the numbers up, but it's so particularly important to know, like you have to approach a growth team with the same exact hypothesis discipline. You need the same hypothesis discipline on the team itself. And then you align that to the growth team. And I think we had a bunch of different alignments because we were really focused on lead generation for a while because we really wanted to see out that version of it, which made a lot more sense when we were reporting up to sales, like lead generation tied to sales, kind of tied to marketing. And then when we launched a brand new product and we wanted to apply a growth team to it, we launched our Drift Video product and we wanted to put a team that was focused on onboarding and getting users activated. That part of the growth team started to make sense to roll up to the product org. So I think it's pretty fluid. I think that time scale of six to nine months to see where we can impact a number and then does that align with the ultimate strategy that the company is taking, that kind of forced the evolution. And I think the other thing, particularly at Drift, is that over the years that G was with us, the company itself went through so many dramatic shifts in terms of who our exact target market is and how we split up the entire business to service those different markets. All that was changing constantly. And so it melded the growth team alongside of it, which was really fun to see. I think you got to see what uh, growth teams and growth philosophy looks like when it's tied to all different parts of the org. But yeah, it was quite a pathway through all that. Yeah, it's super cool. And how does that compare to what you're doing now? So I know that you're product lead for growth and lifecycle. What does that mean? How does your day-to-day differ? Yeah. So these days I am overseeing our Drift for Startups program. 
So if you're at a company that's less than 50 employees and you want to purchase Drift, we have a program that is a very, very significantly discounted version of Drift. And you started that price. And then as you grow, so as your company raises more money, then your price goes up until you're at the point that you're no longer like an early stage startup and can actually afford and would benefit from the full platform. And so I oversee all of that, which includes the pricing, all of the onboarding, our goals for net retention and all that. So it's less like tactical experimentation and much more overseeing that core function. And then back to what I was saying earlier that I'm fundamentally a product person. I'm also overseeing one of the foundation parts of our product. So everything around our CRM and our core integrations. And that's a little bit uh, less of life cycle growth type work, but still very much apply that same sort of mindset of what's our hypothesis here? What's the outcome we want? How many people are using X, Y, or Z? What's the customer input? So that one, that part functions a little bit more like a classic product team. Yeah, it is continually changing. My answer would have been different four months ago than it is today. And I'm very sure it will be very different again in four months from now. That's the best part about working in tech. Everything's changing. As long as you're good with things changing, it's usually for the better. And it usually means you just stack on skills. For sure. And so what you're doing now, do you view that as the culmination of all of these teams that you've been on and folks that you've learned from and mentors that you've been able to see and, you know, and pick their brains? Is what you're doing right now a culmination of all those skills into like one greatest hits? I would say not quite. I think it's another angle of growth type work that will just be another part of my understanding of all the different approaches. Like now it's more of a clear market strategy, growth. How do we build a net retention positive business, right? So as part of that, I'm also tied to the driving of resources, making a case internally to say, let's put another full engineering team on this and let's really build it out. And here's the outcome that we can get. And so it's a bit more of business ownership, more so than I'd say a lot of the other culmination of my growth work was far more tactically, like I'm PMing this growth team Here's exactly how we think about everything week over week. We have these brainstorming sessions and this is how we document results and this is how we do that. And it's a new angle of that. And I expect all of this will be my ultimate goal is to start my own company at some point. And to me, all of this and the reason why I joined Drift in the first place is to learn what it takes to build something great. And so I'm just interested in what's another angle of building something great that I haven't quite seen before or experienced yet. So I think it's still true to that line that I've drawn through my career, especially at Drift, which has taken me through all departments in all different ways. And I see this as just another piece of that puzzle that will help me when I move on to do something else. That's awesome. And are there specific skills that you're still focused on trying to get better at every day as you think about either success in your current role or that next step? Yeah, I think the Difference between when Drift was operating as a 20-person company to it operating today at a 400-person company, I think is really interesting to me to watch that play out. I also spend a lot of time thinking about and analyzing how the teams have shifted and the philosophy has shifted and all the decisions that have been made over the past five years at Drift and what those decisions actually meant for the outcomes 
that we're looking at. And the company's culture operates this way because of this. The product team is in this situation and all the PMs think about it this way because of this one decision that I randomly made two years ago that I thought had zero consequences, but now it dictates the entire way that product teams report stuff, right? And so to me, it's a lot of trying to understand the long-term implications of decisions where I think a lot of my work so far and a lot of my work in the tactics of growth is much more about short-term outcomes, right? What is the number today that was different a week ago when we didn't have this experiment running? Whereas I'm spending so much more time trying to see the through lines of this thing seemed insignificant, but it actually really mattered because that random experiment is the only reason that today we can do X, Y, or Z, or that thing got totally scrapped. I wish it didn't. I watched how the handoff happened to this other team and then they didn't have it as part of it, right? All that kind of stuff to me, it's like the strategy of it all is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about these days. That's cool. Have there been, as you reflect on it, any major learning moments or major fuck-ups that as you just reflect, you're like, man, now I know. I think when I first started on the growth work, I think I underestimated how much responsibility of educating the rest of the organization came with that role. I think that is especially important once your company is past 50 and 100 employees and you're bringing people in to do growth. That person has to be the arbiter of helping everyone at the company understand the growth mindset, the way that you approach data, the way that experimentation works and functions, the reason that you're choosing X, Y, or Z outcome or X, Y, or Z experiment. I'd say half of my job in the first six months of us tactically running those growth teams was just working with the rest of the company and working with the marketing team and other people in product to help them understand that we're not messing up all your stuff. We're just trying to like see if we can have a better version of this thing. Like we have to be able to work together on that. So I think my big lesson there is I think I steamrolled a lot of that early stuff where it was a lot of just get out of the way. Like we're here to do this thing, let us in. Whereas I realized a little bit later that I should have been more patient with it and more approaching to it as like, let me bring everyone else along with the journey rather than I'm on this journey and I've just got to like figure it out. I think I did that a little bit too much, whereas I should have brought more people along because it would have made my job so much easier. (laughs) And I think I would have had a lot less frustrating conversations where people were frustrated at me. We had situations where we ran an experiment and then the leader of the sales org was like, what the hell are they doing? Why are they running that thing? Shut it down immediately. And it's totally on me for not bringing them in the loop earlier. Like I just didn't have a good appreciation for the broad impact of experimentation at a scale of 150 employees plus. Everyone's got their own priorities. And if I'm not really understanding those and I'm working across the whole funnel, then people are just going to get pissed at me, which happened quite a lot. It's a good takeaway, right? If you're working in growth and you're working full funnel, sometimes you got to crack a few eggs here and there. What would it look like if you could have gone back and done it differently? I'm thinking more for folks that are listening to this that Maybe they work at a similar size company, maybe a little bit smaller, but the challenge is the same. How do I keep people in the loop about what I'm doing and bring them along with me so that I don't bump heads? Yeah, I think the core challenge was, or if I would go back and do it again, I would have been way more clear, repetitive, and explicit on exactly what our team did, why our team exists, what we're doing what we're trying to get as an outcome. And I just would have repeated that constantly because what happened was 
we weren't really crystal clear on that. We were pretty clear on it to leadership, but we weren't crystal clear to everyone else. And what happens, and which will happen to you if you don't circumvent this, is that everyone applies their own understanding of what a growth team does, what you as the growth person works on. And so all of a sudden, I was in this spot where like everyone thought my job was something totally different than what I was actually doing day to day, or like they understood 20% and they thought that the other 80% was this thing that they were trying to like tell me that I should be working on, but it's totally misaligned. So I would have spent a lot more effort clearly documenting, this is what our team does. This is what I work on. Here is the transparent list of experiments that we're going to do. Here is the output of those. Here's the data-driven outcomes. I think I would have created a place for people to see that way sooner, way earlier, and would have socialized it way, way more than just jumping in immediately. Such a good takeaway. I got more questions, man, but I got to be mindful of your time. Thank you for coming on, sharing your story, sharing some of the cool projects that you've worked on, lessons that you've picked up along the way and giving us your time. And it's been fantastic. Absolutely, Andrew. Pleasure. I always have fun with these types of conversations. For me, this is always an opportunity for me to crystallize a lot of learnings that I've had and I've sort of stumbled through it and realized that I actually learned a lesson that I didn't quite know that I learned. So I appreciate the great questions. They helped me learn as well. And I very much hope that a bunch of the listeners got some great takeaways as well. And where can folks follow you if they're interested in learning more from you? What social networks are you active on? Yeah, my Twitter is at Matt Bilotti. Find me on LinkedIn, add me there as well. And then my email is matt at drift.com. Feel free to reach out. Happy to give thoughts or whatever it might be. And I've got other growth podcast. It's called Growth. Uh, you could find it, search Growth Mapilati on any of your favorite podcast apps. Got to do some cross-promoting there, so. Totally. What kind of stuff do you talk about in the podcast quickly? Yeah, so I approach the podcast as each episode is a deep dive into a specific channel, tactic, strategy of growth. And I try to find an expert in that given topic, and then we just go deep in it. So I wish that it was a thing that I had when I first started on growth where how should I think about X, Y, or Z? And it was just a fragmented blog post everywhere. I couldn't really find a good place for it. So find an expert that's really good at one particular thing at growth. And then we just go deep on that topic. And I think of it as a growth person or a founder or whatever can share that with their team and say, hey, I know we're thinking about this. Here's that talk with that expert on that given topic. Awesome. Check out Matt's podcast, Matt. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. 